Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hey, this is Travis Book. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I remember him, you know, telling me when I was 10, and, and I'd been very seriously playing every day, practicing, come home from school, pick up my mandolin, learning new tunes every week, going to the jams. And a couple years in, you know, I had learned a bunch of tunes. I knew some of the standard things at the jams, and I remember my dad clearly saying to me, you know, I'm 10 years old, he says, now, Sierra, you're already good enough that if you just want to, like, play the mandolin till you're an old lady and just jam and have fun, you would never have to necessarily learn anything else to just enjoy it the rest of your life. You could go to the jams, you've learned a bunch of these tunes everybody plays, but I want you to realize that you're 10 years old and right now everybody goes, oh, how cute is she, this little girl playing the mandolin? And he goes, and you are good for a 10-year-old. He goes, but someday, if you play like a 10-year-old because you don't keep practicing and you're 16, nobody's gonna care. Welcome to the Travis Book Happy Hour Podcast. I'm Travis Book. This episode is brought to you by Americana Vibes and Thompson Guitars, makers of fine instruments handmade with love in Sisters, Oregon. In May of 2021, I was lucky enough to host the incredible Sierra Hull and her husband, Justin Moses, on the Happy Hour. Sierra got started early, performing with the best in bluegrass on the biggest stages from a young age. She's a player of the absolute highest caliber, but her humility and graciousness is what really sets her apart. I was blown away by her positivity and professionalism. There's really none better. We spent a couple of days together making music and sharing the good vibes, and by the time we took the stage at the Great Eagle, we were already feeling like old friends. This podcast is an edited distillation of the full-length happy hour, which aired live on May 5th of 2021. I edit pretty heavily for the podcast, but full episodes of this and every happy hour can be viewed anytime at thetravisbookhappyhour.com. Ray Eagle in Asheville, the Pearl of Carolina. It's the Travis Book Happy Hour. 
with special guest Sierra Hall and the Happy Hour House Band featuring Justin Moses. And now, your host, Travis Book. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Thank you all for being here tonight. Really excited about tonight's show. So grateful that Sierra and Justin are here. Warmer than where? Oh, good. Well, at least it's not December. Why we booby, tell me. Why we cry and tell me. Can we live together without pain? Burdens at our doorstep, burdens in our heart. It's time to let them travel, lay them down. From the tallest mountain down in the lowest valley, we're all asking, we want to know why we're climbing. Tell me why we're falling. Tell me where we're going. Want to know right sunrise, right sun, right Coming and it is not promised, it's all we know. Can we quantify it? Can we try and name it? Try to fight it, hold it close, right? Sunrise. song I made up a while ago. How's everyone doing tonight? I'm feeling really good tonight. I'll tell you why. A couple reasons. One, we played last night. I played with Justin and Sierra last night, and it was incredible. I mean, they're just the most amazing people. I cannot wait uh, for us, I would say for you to meet them, but I'm sure because you bought the ticket and you're here that you already know what you're in store for. Um... So I'm pretty excited about that, and I also am pretty stoked because I got my second vaccine, and, um, and, it, didn't, and it hasn't killed me yet. Um, I had a rough 14 hours, uh, but I'm feeling good and feeling really optimistic and really hopeful, uh, no matter where you fall on the vaccine divide. Um, but it's good news to be getting back 
toward uh, normal or hanging out around each other or hugging, these kind of things. Um, yeah, and live music too, you know, this is, the other reason I'm really happy is this is far and away the most people we've had in this room since I started this little show about a year ago. And I would owe most of that to Sierra, of course, um, but also I owe a lot of that to, uh, to the Grey Eagle for being open and for all of you for sort of, it's like, we're, we're starting to do it again, right? You can feel it, we're getting out, we're doing music. Um, one, what, on, on a sad note, I just found out, um, I just found out yesterday about the passing of a dear friend of the String Dusters. He was, uh, he was my former landlord and a business partner of ours. His name was Steve Crandall, uh, owner of Devil's Backbone Brewing Company. He helped us get our festi started out there. He rented me a house out there um, in Nelson County. And, and the reason I bring it up, not just because Steve deserves to be honored, he was a fantastic guy, but Steve, for me, was one of the first people that I really came across that... Um, he and I had so little in common in terms of sort of the way that we conducted our lives, um, uh, social issues, political issues, those kind of things, but we still had this really deep bond, and I think we both had a real desire to, uh, to be friends and to get to know each other, even though, you know, he, he was, a, you know, he was a, a, a hunter from Virginia, and I was, you know, kind of like a a hippie kid from, from Colorado. And, and I was so grateful for that opportunity. Steve was one of the first people that really kind of blew my mind open to the fact that I had all these preconceptions about people and none of that stuff really mattered. And all this, all this we get so uptight about all these ideas we have. Um, we have to stand our ground on this and this stuff matters. And you know, it just, none, none of this stuff matters nearly as much as we all think it does. And we'd all be a lot happier if we would just try to be, be a little more compassionate. <laughs> Find a reason to love someone instead of a reason to hate them, you know? And Steve Crandall helped me learn about that. So big thanks to Steve. And uh, to pay tribute to Steve and also to the great John Hartford, I'm going to go ahead and get Sierra and Justin up here to join me. We'll play uh, one of my favorite tunes. open and your path is free to walk Makes me tend to leave my sleeping bag rolled up and stashed behind the couch Knowing I'm not shackled by forgotten words of bonds All the ink stains that have dried upon some life That keeps you on the back road by the river of my memory keeps you ever gentle on my mind It's not clinging to the rocks and ivy planted on their columns now that binds me Something that somebody said because they thought we fit together walking I'll be cursing or forgiven when I walk along the railroad track and find that you're moving on the back road by the views of my memory, but smiling ever gentle on my mind. 
and the junkyards lie between us. Or some other woman crying to her mother cause she turned and I was gone. I still might run in silence, tears of joy might stain my face. Summer sun might burn me till I'm blind. Not to where I cannot see you even on the back row by the rivers flowing gentle on my I was so excited to ask you all these questions. I just got, I was like, let's just do it right now. So I have a little intro. I said, there are people for whom it all aligns. They're born at the right time in the right place. They fall into a path that seems like it was chosen for them. And I think you may qualify as one of these people. Less than three years after picking up her father's mandolin at age eight, she shared the stage with Alison Krauss and the Grand Ole Opry. She makes music the most wonderful music and makes it seem like it's like all no big deal. Both she and her husband, Justin, are as virtuosic and professional as they are kind and down-to-earth. I'm so grateful she agreed to join me on the happy hour. Please show your gratitude for Sierra Hall. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you, Travis. How sweet. It's great to be here with you. You know, I wrote that, but I didn't make it up. It wrote itself, because it's all so true. Oh, man. Well, that means a lot. Thank you. So, thanks again for coming and doing the show. Oh, man, I've been looking forward to this for so long. What a cool thing. Yeah, um, you, you're just like one of the most agreeable people I've ever, <laughs> I've ever had the pleasure of hanging out with. Hey, man, well, you're a great leader, so oh. it, it's been, it's, you've made our, our world easy to be part of the last couple days here, so. That's my hope. Hey. That's my hope. I love it. Tell your friends. <laughs> I will. So you were born in Birdstown, Tennessee. Or, I was. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Birdstown. How big is Birdstown? Um, well, what's funny is when we were at the diner this morning in Travis's hometown there, um, 
eating our biscuits and gravy. We decided, we were like, how big is Brevard? And so then we were thinking about that in comparison to Justin's hometown. So we, we hit up old Birdstown on the Wikipedia to see what the current census said. And it said 999. <laughs> They're teetering on the edge of four digits, y'all. They probably, they probably take great pride in it being sub-1,000 residents. I know, it's funny. I said, I bet that it might be 1,000 now. And they're just like, nah, no let's way. just, we can't list we it as that. I mean, no, you want to be a small, if you're going to be a small town, you got to be as small as possible. We don't have a red light. You know, that's what I always tell people. It's a very small town to grow up in, but a beautiful part of Tennessee. Yeah, that's really cool. It, uh, quiet, but you early on you got into playing, you got into playing bluegrass music early. Your dad, your dad was into it, and your dad really like the story goes. Your dad really caught the bug. Yeah, I mean he, you know, I remember him telling me he had always um, wished that he could have a mandolin and learn when he was a kid, and they never could afford one. His family just didn't have the money for one, so so it was kind of a big deal when. Uh, when he, well, I was probably about seven years old, you know, he just started saving his money and saved up enough money to probably buy, you know, like a cheap mandolin, um, and kind of the rest is history. He just really fell in love with it. My mom's uh, uncle lived next door, so my great aunt and uncle, who I were like a second set of grandparents to me, and I was in their house every day, and so my uncle Junior would play mandolin and fiddle and guitar and just old tunes like Wildwood Flower or... You know, he, he never had any lessons. He probably didn't even really know that many chords on the mandolin, but he would sure. sit around and, you know, pick out little tunes and stuff. So so the, the sound of the instrument kind of feels like I, it's always been familiar to me. But then, it, yeah, when my dad started trying to learn to play and got into bluegrass and started trying to go to bluegrass festivals and local jams, that's that's when it was on. You know? That's when <laughs> it was music on. Music really became a thing in our house after that. That's so cool, and 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 I've heard you talk about the jam thing, and I think it's something that we have in common. Um, it, it happened to you when you were younger. You know, I, I discovered like the bluegrass jamming and, and festival scene when I was, you know, twenty, which twenty one was is a prime time to discover it. Yeah. But um, but you were doing it. You know, you were in and amongst it when you were eight, ten, twelve years old, and pl- and talk about like the to me the coolest thing. One of the coolest things is that you get people from really different backgrounds and different ages. And you have a context in which to become like really good friends and and develop like where else can like a 10 year old be on the level with a 78 year old? Well, for me, it was kind of like that, because when I would go to these jams, they were just, you know, tiny little jams uh, in the town over in Jamestown, Tennessee, kind of where a lot of my family's from. And we would go over there every Friday evening and there would be this jam at this um, old community center where there'd be a tiny little stage and some folks would get on there. Sometimes it was kind of like an open mic. Some nights it was like local bands. And then there would always be a couple different circle jams happening in the back. And I mean, from the time I barely knew how to play a few chords till, till you know, I was had been playing a few years. I mean, those folks really embraced me and invited me you know, into jam and taught me things. And it's just such a special thing. Got me on stage with them. I mean, there's like video my parents have of me, you know, standing in the back with some of the local bluegrass bands, just like trying to play chop chords on the mandolin, you know, and and to be embraced like that as a young person, I always say I loved the music. I fell in love with playing the instrument fast, but I think it was the community that really made me stay into it because I just loved it. So it was, yeah, mostly me and a bunch of old dudes who just like were so good to me, you know. Yeah, was, is, I was so lucky to have it, you know. That is that is that's so cool. That was really my experience too. I wasn't it wasn't you know I wasn't like I wasn't like the, the, the kid girl, but I was I was not like them, you know. But they were yeah. cool. These yeah. old dudes were cool, and they just they just wanted to pick. And if you could pick, man, 
there was no end to the to the kind of time we could spend together. And even if you're not that good, but they can tell you're interested and you love it, there's that that spirit of sharing, you know, within the bluegrass community that I think really makes it special and and uh, has always meant a lot to me to be part of a community like that. That's so cool. So you started. You start when you're eight, you're gigging when you're 10, you're on the Opry when you're 11. Um, and then, you know, you go up through Berkeley and I mean, you're, you're, you've, you're like your three-time mandolin player of the year winner at IBMA, is that right? That is right, That's yes. a fact. <laughs> um, it's, it's remarkable, you know, you, you, like you've been at this for like 20 years. I know. You're, like, feel- you're like a veteran. <laughs> Yeah, it, well, it, it's, I'm lucky that I got started so young, you know. I, I, like, from the time I picked up the mandolin when I was eight years old, it was like I knew that's what I wanted to do. There was never any question in my mind that that's what I wanted out of my life. So I kind of just... That's incredible. You knew, like, right away at eight. I knew right away, and sometimes I, I realize now, looking back, how kind of crazy that is and how rare that might be to just find your passion that young. But I was definitely lucky in that way that I just connected to it and it felt like every week we were discovering a new bluegrass band so we'd get a new cd every week and then you'd kind of you know from from one weekend before the jam we'd get a cd and then we'd spend all week with it and then get another one and it was just like a constant discovery of all these wonderful bands that you know became my heroes and i remember kind of staring at those album covers and thinking that's what i want to do i want to be like these people i want to make albums i want to tour i mean i knew that you know would be what I wanted to, you know, I, I knew that there would never be anything else for me, somehow. You are so, you're so fortunate. I, I know, very and lucky to have And that. you're lucky that you, that you, I mean, obviously you're incredibly gifted, but you, have, you clearly also have an, an insane work ethic to be as, um, to have the facilities that you do on your instrument is, um, it's remarkable. And you oh, obviously man. have dedicated yourself to it. It's not like you were an eight-year-old and you're like, I'm going to be a rock star. And you just no, kind of plunked well, no. away. Like, you got down to shedding. My parents, for real. My and you've been doing it for a long really time. My parents really kept my feet on the ground in the best possible way. They're not stage parents, but they were like, and I always knew they were proud of me, but it was, they were very kind of, especially my dad, just real about it. Like, I remember him, you know, telling me when I was 10, and, and I'd been very seriously playing every day, practicing, come home from school, pick up my mandolin, learning new tunes every week, going to the jams. And a couple years in, you know, I had learned a bunch of tunes. I knew some of the standard things at the jams. And I remember my dad clearly saying to me, you know, I'm 10 years old. He says, now, Sierra, you're already good enough that if you just want to, like, play the mandolin till you're an old lady and just jam and have fun, you would never have to necessarily learn anything else to just enjoy it the rest of your life. You could go to the jams. You've learned a bunch of these tunes everybody plays. But I want you to realize that you're 10 years old, and right now everybody goes, oh, how cute is she, this little girl playing the mandolin? And he goes, and you are good for a 10-year-old. He goes, but someday, if you play like a 10-year-old because you don't keep practicing and you're 16, nobody's going to care. Wow. And if you really want to do it like you say you do, you got to keep working hard. And when wow. you're 16, you need to sound like you've been playing since you were 8. And right. when you're 25, you need to sound like you've spent your whole life doing it. So I just think that was great advice, which seems like such a mature conversation to be having with that, a 10-year-old. You're cute and all, kid, but like, that ain't going to last. Yeah, I'm kind of... <laughs> and it, it's true, though. I'm blown I, away. I, I mean, that's a, that, that's a lot of wisdom. It was valuable advice, you know, and I'm so lucky that I had a you know, dad and mom that that really kind of, you know, they didn't push me to do it like in the same way. They they pushed me because I loved it so much and I said it's what I wanted. So I think they reminded me if I ever got lazy, you know, my dad, 
I remember said, you know, Sierra, you've not been practicing very much lately. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. And he said, uh, you know, he goes, well, I mean, one of these days, Allison Krause is going to call you to come play with her and you're not going to be ready. You know, he would say stuff like that to me because that was my dream. <laughs> I mean, that was my dream. She was my hero. And so I'd go, oh. That, hit, that hits you where it hurts that, right that there. That could happen? I better practice. <laughs> but, but also, like, while, while allowing me to believe that was possible somehow. Right. You know what I mean? So it was, like, encouraging, but also, like, girl, you better get after it. <laughs> That's... So. That's so cool. You know, I, I watched, um, I went back and I watched the, the video of you playing on the Opry. You know, and it's, it's so cool. There's this, there's this great moment. Of course, you know, as soon as you start playing, you're playing and you, you definitely do not sound like an 11-year-old kid. Um, <laughs> you know, you close your eyes and you're playing with this authority of someone who, who, is, who, who is meant to be there and playing. Um, and it's really cool to watch. My favorite part of the whole, whole song, though, is when it kicks back into the melody. And you're standing next to Allison and you're backed off a little bit and you're kind of looking up at Allison and then, and then I can tell Jerry is kind of leaning back and you make eye contact with Jerry and you two share this moment and you have this look on your face where it's one part like, how awesome is this? Like you and Jerry are looking at each other like, this is so awesome! And also this, it, they're also, I also got this sense that you're, you're up there and you're looking at Jerry and you're like, this is awesome and we're doing this together. Not like, Oh my God! I'm up here with Jerry, but like it, like it's the same. It's the same thing. Like like you were talking today about um, you know something that Edgar told you, and you're pl- you're going to be playing in Bela Flex bands. You're already contemporaries with the people who are the greatest in history at playing their their instrument. You can tell when you're 11 years old and you're looking at Jerry Douglas, the greatest dobro player that's ever lived, and you're looking at him like it's it's kind of, like I can tell it's like a big deal, but it's also kind of no big deal. There's this really beautiful thing that's happening there where. You can totally tell that you really are on your way. Oh, man. Well, that's so sweet of you to say. I think I have to give a lot of credit to them, though, because it's also something about just, you know, I'm lucky to have grown up loving so many of my heroes that are just awesome people, too, you know, that have not disappointed me. And I think that's such a beautiful thing to be able to, like, you know, you kind of put your heroes on this pedestal, you know, especially when you're a kid. I mean, I just, like, worship the ground they walk on, all the people that I grew up loving, Allison, Tony Rice, like, all these people. And yet they always, from from the time I first got to meet them and play with them, like, always just inspired me and treated me like I was meant to be there. And, uh, you know, they didn't have to, but they did. And so I think there's something really special about... Um, just how wonderful so many of our heroes really are as human beings, too, in, in this well, and field of music. And they're, they're an extension of the community that you... They, they're at the, the top of what is all sort of the same scene. Totally. So, you know, so they yeah. are an extension of the dobro player and the fiddle player that I was playing with in this weird little band called Badly Bent back in Durango. You know, that band exists because Bela... You know, it's, and so for them to be so down-to-earth... We shouldn't be surprised because that's kind of what part of what makes this whole music and this whole little corner of the musical world so special. Totally, yeah. Um, is 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 that sort of that phenomenon? Um, <laughs> I we we just talked about. I, I, it's so cool. So, can you tell me like? I, I was listening to the podcast you did with Panda, and you were talking about having like a little bit of label pushback. Everybody deals with trying to sort of. As a musician, you're trying to figure out exactly what you want to do, but you also, you know, you have people around you that you want to bounce things off of. You're looking for little advice. You, it's good to have some boundaries or some context. Can you talk a little bit about um, 
about, you know, finding your own voice and following your own, following your own path, finding, finding yourself and, and the confidence to really do what you want to do. Because your new album, I'm really hearing that, is that it really seems like it's, um, it's, it's incredibly fearless and really original. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I appreciate that. I think, you know, I'm certainly one of those people that sometimes struggle with doubting myself. It's like, it's funny, I can kind of easily have perspective on what I think, you know, is good or, or could be, you know, I could take someone else's song and arrange it all day and kind of go, oh, that'd be cool, or, or kind of like put my producer hat on. And then as soon as I do that for myself, sometimes I'm like, okay, but wait, is that really, you know, you can kind of get in your head and go, is this really what I should be doing? Or like, oh, I can do this, or I can do that. And then, you know, you have all these kind of things hitting you. And um, I think as I'm sort of trying to like forge ahead and find my path, whatever that is at this point, because I love so many different styles of music, I find myself sometimes feeling like there's a lot of different directions I could take things. So it is a little bit of that kind of push and pull within myself of trying to, you know, find that balance between being able to really you know, believe in myself and trust myself, but I, I've also felt like, um, you know, I, I do always try to at least hear the advice of those around me. You know, I know ultimately I'll end up doing what I think I need to do, yeah. but I'm definitely somebody that, that you know, likes to kind of bounce my ideas off other people and get a few different thoughts on whatever I'm working on, because I think that can be valuable at the same time to help you make sort of a stronger decision on what the direction is, but yeah, you have to try to not let it get in your head too much because it can quickly if you're not careful by, by hearing just too much from too many people. So yeah. it's a balance, and I'm still always trying to find that, you know. Yeah, well, and I imagine as... <clears throat> I don't even know what's okay to say anymore, but I imagine, like, as a, as a, as a woman and as a, as, a, as a young woman, you probably came up against some condescension. You probably still get talked... Do, do you get talked down to? Do you get, like, do you get, do you get any of this sort of, like... Do you, do, you, do you get any of that? I feel like I've been fairly fortunate to be able to, to surround myself with a lot of people that have, have always been quite respectful to me. Yeah. And I think some of that's by design, just trying to make sure that the people I have in my life are people that I feel like I can respect and they'll respect me back. And so, you know, I think for the most part, I've, I've dodged probably um, more than some. But, yeah, I mean, of course, there's always some of those, some of those moments. Um, you know, especially when you're the youngest person in the room, which I was for many years, and now now I'm starting to not be, and right. that kind of feels a little bit like I feel that shift of like, yeah. feel like okay, I've been around long enough now. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's a little bit different, but yeah, the, 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 it, it, it's not it's not it's not a pure meritocracy, but certainly bluegrass is one of those. It's one of those types of music where you know the the. It, it's hard to play, and there are there's also um, there are standards by which we can sort of assess and if you can if you can cut the gig it doesn't matter if you're pink or purple or four foot tall or whatever the important thing is you know you can cut the gig and yeah. you show up and you can if you play rhythm if you play if you like if you got timing like you you got nothing you don't have to worry about anything <laughs> right you know well i think that's always the thing that i've tried to you know remind myself of, of you know hearing my dad's voice in the back of my head is like you know you need to work hard to to have your seat at the table and not you yeah. know just expect that you're going to get there on whatever other kind of you know, free pass, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, being the kid or being cute or whatever, you know, and, and like trying yep. to just make sure that, that, um, you know, you show up knowing, knowing what you need to know and, and working toward being the best version of yourself. And I think a lot of the rest sort of takes care of itself when you, when you put in that work and try to, you know, be the best you can, the best version of yourself that you can. 
That's the name of the game. That's what we're all uh, trying for, I guess. <laughs> one, one, one more question, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to get to some music before I, I hopefully talk to you again. Um, unless the music is just so good that they won't let me talk anymore. <laughs> um, what are you? What are you most proud of thus far? I mean, I, I you know, you're not you're not young enough to be, you're not old enough to be having a sort of a retrospective approach. But like, what what what's been like one of your most gratifying experiences, or what are you most proud of? Oh man. What was a big? What's a big milestone for you? What's a what was something that? What well, was something that mattered? I mean, like generally, I could say that one of the things I'm most proud of is is how many of my heroes I've been able to actually work with and now feel like our friends and people that, you know, the, these people that I would have dreamed of getting to be on stage with, you know. And, and even meeting somebody like Allison, I was lucky to meet her so young, but I still sometimes as an adult go, you never get over your heroes, you know. It's like she's still, you know. Like I was such a nerd about their music, <laughs> like you hardcore. I drew photos of myself on stage with them when I was like nine years old. I mean, but but that worked. It worked. I, I should probably be drawing more photos. Now. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I I, I, I think we understate we we sort of underestimate um, the the power of sort of manifesting your own I reality. Know, I, Truly, truly. And I think as a kid, you don't know any better, so you're just like, yes, I, I like to draw, so there you go. I'm going to play with um, Alison Krauss, and that's just how it's going to be. But I think, I think that that probably means as much to me as anything, that, you know, so many of the people that I dreamed of working with at some point, you know, that I've actually got to to get to know them as people and, and, you know, not just share the stage, but just play music with, you know, and, and feel like, like that, um, you know, that was all I ever wanted. <laughs> Yeah, that's got to be kind of the pinnacle as a musician to 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 get the to sort of get the call from the people that you admired and emulated the most, the people that inspired you the most, for them to be sort of ringing you up when it's time for them to to try to play some music. That's huge. There's no better validation than that. Yeah, and I mean, I you know, it doesn't mean that there haven't been other like moments of feeling really proud or things that were bucket list things that I've got to do. But I think just as a general thing that that's you know if I look back on my life any awards or whatever I don't think that'll be the thing that stands out as much as those people absolutely that's very cool will you uh will you play us some music I will that's yeah. Sierra Hall everyone <laughs> oh thank you
That was fantastic. Do you mind if I join you? Oh, please. please. Okay, so you're, the record you did before the last one you put out, uh, Bela Fleck produced it, and you played, uh, it was just a bass, and it was just mandolin and bass. Yeah. Ethan Yojevitz. Mm-hmm. Your husband just taught me how to say that backstage. That's good. I was, I was impressed. <laughs> um, so, you know, part of the reason I started this show was so that I could play music with awesome musicians, and Sierra was kind enough to basically, she agreed to play every song that I asked her to play. So uh, we're going to play a, tune, a, a title track from your, from your previous record, Weighted Mind. Yeah, that, that previous song I just did is from the same album, too. Um, but yeah. Such, such a great record, and, and oh, you'll thanks. never... This, totally, totally unique. you never find anything else like it, you know, but it's really, really cool. Worth checking out, Weighted Mind. Let's do this, let's do this tune off, yeah. and then we'll get Justin up here.
Thank you. Hey, everybody, let, make welcome back to the stage, Mr. Justin Moses. Right. So those, um, those last ones, as Travis said, is from an album I made called Wait in Mind. I had a new record come out at the beginning of last year called 25 Trips, so we're going to play a couple off that. In the middle of the woods, once upon a time, I read a few pages in a book of rhyme. Said I want to love the people who love to be deceitful, who love to lie. And if I want to know your secrets and I can't stay safe or sound, I want the truth where I can see it, even if I hit the ground. Won't you whisper in my ear so I can hear you better? With all these voices in my head, I haven't heard a 
up singing in church I did and that's um, and that's awesome because I did too will you talk about like that was a critical part of my musical education what did that what did that do for you and, and absolutely well I think that's where so many of us I think that grow up that way with music kind of being introduced to music in, in church and where I come from you know it was all hymns mostly um, yeah. but my family just in general loved gospel music and actually I remember hearing bluegrass gospel before we really got into bluegrass very much and hearing people like Dole Austin and Quicksilver and all that four part harmony our family was all about it trying to figure <laughs> out those parts but you know like growing up in Tennessee music is just such a way of life for so many people I always say everybody from you know my mom just is naturally a great singer kind of kind of heard harmonies and you know had grown up hearing music in church her whole life too so it's right. not like most people have training specifically you just kind of you know pick it up by hearing it every every sunday in church and hearing people sing in harmony so everybody from my granny to my great aunt you know 
sang songs. And so that, yeah, that was huge to just feel like, of course, of course we sing. That's what everybody does. You totally. Know? Like that's, that's how you, that's how you lift, that's how you lift your voice. Absolutely. You sing. You yeah, know, that's how you, totally. That's how, you, that's how you take it up. Do you, Absolutely. What, um, what, if it's, if you don't mind me asking, what role does faith play in your life and in your art? Just in general, you don't have to be too specific, but yeah, I mean, gosh, it was like, especially growing up the absolute cornerstone of my life, you know? And, and I think always was part of how I felt like I knew I was meant to play music. Like it felt like there was a certainty I had about it that had nothing to do with the fact that I, you know, had talent or not. To me, it didn't even feel like it was about how good I even was. It was about feeling like very led. And and so that's kind of what I always attributed that to is feeling like, you know, that was kind of my purpose. Obviously, as I grow older, things within my faith and my walk, like, you know, change a little bit because you grow older and, and you're, you know, you start to kind of look at things through your own life experience. And, you know, so some of it looks different than it did when I was a a tiny little kid going to church right. with 20 people in Birdstown, you know, but, but I think that's yeah. part of it and part of the walk. So I still feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm still a very faith-based person and, and still kind of look to a higher power for, you know, helping me guide my steps, whatever that may be. You yeah. Know? Yeah, totally. I think that's, um, that's, a. Uh, yeah, that's, 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 that's very cool. That's, I, 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 I love hearing, I love hearing people to sort I love hearing that that sentiment that you're sort of like it's kind of like you're like like this is it's like this is the path that I this is the path that I walk right it seems like such a sort of like a simple thing to say but it it there's like there's almost like a, a degree of surrender to it where you're, you're yeah. like you're like yeah this this ob- it, it's, it's almost like you can sort of like see the path lit for you you know almost like yeah. like, a, like a runway and it's and and it and it's outside of yourself. It's not like you're making the path. Yeah. You're just kind of walking it. Definitely. And I've had my times of feeling like, I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing. And, you know, but, but I feel like if there's always been kind of one thing that I felt confident that I could lean back on, even, even if I didn't understand like exactly what the direction was, I always, like, there's never been a real moment of feeling like this isn't what I was meant to do. Yeah. And so I think like that comes from somewhere greater than than what I feel like I myself because because there's been many times where it would just be easy to quit because it's hard to do something that you love so much and that you're so passionate about it's sort of like the most rewarding thing and can be kind of a, a torturous thing sometimes too because it requires so much of yourself to really like dedicate your life to something you're passionate about like that you know and you yeah. can be let down by it and all those all those things but but somehow there's there's just always been that certainty of feeling like that's the path you know god or whatever higher power whatever you want to call it has, has right. put me on yeah and it, t- and it takes and it takes it takes faith and it takes courage in part because you know like you say it's it's a it's a difficult thing to do and even like specifically like like right i was going to ask you sort of about like where you get redraw your inspiration for what, what you write about even like sort of like plumbing the depths of your own experience is a lot like sort of having a a personal relationship with the divine it, it it forces you it sort of forces you inward and exposes uh, you know it it lays bare all the stuff that's inside of you and yeah. so if you're going if you're going to do it with honesty and with integrity you really have to go there it's the same thing with sort of a re- relationship with the divine if you're going to do it with honesty and integrity you really have to go there and it's yeah. probably not going to be pretty it's not a lot of times yeah, yeah it's not and, and but i feel like that's when i those are the times when i feel most um closest to figuring it out you know when you're just kind of face on the floor surrendering to like i don't know what i'm doing anymore 
that's, that's <laughs> need a little help here, you know? It's like that's, those, those tend to be the times where I weirdly get the most clarity is when I just feel like I'm at the bottom. You're lucky to have that amount of wisdom because I think it takes, it takes us all, it takes everybody a lot of time to sort of realize that that's sort of what it takes. It's almost sort of like an emptying out. Yeah. of the vessel to make room for whatever is next and it's not it's a really it can be a really uncomfortable place as you say when you're like face down on the floor yeah but it's part of the sort of the, the process yeah absolutely what do you write what are you writing about these days well i think that i've spent so much time as a songwriter kind of writing from my own personal like you know depths whatever that is and sometimes i'm like music like i'm i, I always say i'm kind of like truly I, i'm fortunate to be like a 95% happy person in most cases, you know? I'm always like, you know, glass half full kind of girl, yep. you know? But I feel like those times, just like anybody, I have like, you know, times of, of loneliness and, and struggle and self-doubt and all those things. And I feel like those are the moments when I'm really like searching the most and it, it manifests through songwriting. And so that, you know, I've always been attracted to those kind of songs, you yeah. know? I yeah. I'm trying to write happier music, you know, <laughs> but but there's something like about that longing, and and of course growing up in bluegrass, you know, so many of the songs, if you really listen to the lyrics, man, they're lonesome. I mean, there's some crazy stuff happening it's in those the bluegrass ha- songs, but it, then they're like, it's the happiest sounding music with the most lonesome lyrics. I know you're like, yeah, and then you're like, wait, what was that lyric? You know, as a kid, I didn't even think about it. I was just like, this is a blast. You yeah, know? Lester Flatt like, is singing the most lonesome heard stuff Knoxville girl? Woo. without ever playing a minor chord. You know, one. like he didn't play, an, uh, he never played a minor chord, but you, but the whole, all the music is just as dark as can be. You know, you know, I, you know oh, it's, yeah, it's lonesome stuff. And so anyway, I've, I've always been, but, but as I've gotten more into lyric writing over, you know, the past 10 years or whatever, um, like a, a lot of my music tends to take on a more introspective kind of you know melodies and all and, and I love that kind of stuff but these days just to answer your question I've been trying to like get outside myself a little bit and write more story songs and just various things and of course you know the other stuff still comes out too of course and, and it's you can't going, stop it's it. going to you and it's it part of it you know yeah. I think it's almost like therapy to be able to just absolutely put it into song but I've yeah. been doing a lot of co-writing too this past year just via zoom and things yep. like that collaborating with all kinds of people and I've found that to be really rewarding because sometimes um, people have a way of bringing things out of you that when you're just alone you kind of toss aside you're like well yeah this is one this one idea well that's no good you know you kind of let yourself or that sounds like something else and sometimes when you're working with somebody else you can play a little something and go well I had this idea it's terrible but like oh I'll play it for you (laughs) and then somebody can really be like Actually, if you just do this one right. little thing here, that's right. really cool, and we can make something out of that. And so, totally, you know, we'll take that, we'll turn that into a bridge, and and this melody will work. You know, that, or it can like a whole new thing can come out of it that you yeah. just said in passing, and then they're like, well, you said this thing, you know, and you end up writing a song about something that you know you wouldn't have thought to write about otherwise. So, so co-writing is good in that way, and I've been like really getting into that a lot. That's so cool. I feel like I've, I learn, I always learn so much from from co-writing, and then. The real, the real fun part is, um, is sort of like when I get to ride the wave of the creativity that has been loosened up by sort of practicing that muscle with somebody. Yeah, yeah. Like I'll leave a writing session, and if I'm, if I'm aware and I'm open to it, the, the ideas will keep coming. It's the thing. It's like, you know, like I've heard Dolly talk about how much, you know, she just writes everywhere, and apparently there's always legal pads all over her house, and she might be cooking and, you know, get an idea and write it down, and is like, never has the writer's block and like she says she 
basically can't remember having writer's block, and it's not that everything's good. You know, she'll be like, I've written 3,000 songs with three good ones. <laughs> but she's right. always writing, and I do think there's yeah. something to be said about, like, yeah, like practicing that muscle. When, when, you get, when you're aware, there's so many things to write songs about. When totally. your eyes are open and your ears are open and you're kind of in that songwriter mindset. So yeah. it's been great to just be doing more of it and feel like, you know, extra in, inspired by in everything. Yeah. yeah. What... Sort of this. This is sort of a tough question to to even state. But like, what, what, what orients you? Like, what are you trying to do? What's your mission? Like, what's the point for you? Well, I've been thinking about that a lot, honestly, over this past year, and that is such a hard thing to to really put into words because I think sometimes we can maybe think we know what we want it to feel like, but then to actually like put it into words. For me, I think I'm just. I really. I would be excited to make a record that I felt like could connect with even more people than I've been able to thus far um, because I love so many different styles of music and I also just, you know, even beyond the bluegrass community or whatever, just like have enjoyed when I've had opportunity to kind of step outside and play some different kind of festivals and things like that. So I really would love to like at some point be able to make a record that I feel like really reaches more people than what I've been able to thus far. And I think that's probably the goal for most of us as, as artists to just, you know, continue to expand your audience, but to be able to do it with integrity and hopefully do it in an honest way that you're still making music that is meaningful to you. Cause I think that has to be the most important thing. There's no use know. making, there's no use having a hit. You don't want to play. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I think uh, I think that's well, just, just me is. trying to like make music. It would actually be sweet to have a hit <laughs> that I made a bunch of money that I didn't want to play. I would then love you to have can that. Just do whatever, right? <laughs> you know, to be like, oh well, bummer. I got to play that tune that made me millions of dollars that yeah. time. I I, Dang it. I probably shouldn't tell anecdotes about people, but I don't care. I had heard once that um, you know Chris like Chris Thiele sort of he had, he'd grown a little weary of playing Lighthouse, you know, which was a huge song for him, and I was like, dude. I would give you like I'd give you my ring finger to have a lighthouse, you know, to have a song that was like that big and that and that. Um, well, especially as a songwriter too. Yeah. I mean, I understand maybe he kind of goes, well, I'm so young, and then maybe you know he thinks it's cheesy or whatever. But like, who doesn't kind of look back on totally. some of their work and feel that way, you know? But oh, yeah. but to me, I go, well, that song. I mean, I was a kid, like loving that Nickel Creek record. So I know, I know. he can think it's cheesy, but I still love it because it, it, you know, for, for us that kind of, and that's the, that's the wonderful thing about music and especially the songwriting. Like if you can have a song that really like takes someone back to a particular time. Yeah. I mean, just the other day uh, we were talking about Larry Sparks and we'll play a Larry Sparks song later here in a bit, but you know, Larry Sparks was one of the first bluegrass artists that my dad really got a tape of and kind of really started getting into bluegrass. I mean, that kind of lit the fire where he was like, I love this. Got to have more of this. It's so good. And and just the other day, yes, you can clap for Larry Sparks. Yes, you can. And if, yes. And if, and, if, and if you're sitting there at home or you're here in the audience and you're like, Larry who? Just go ahead and get yourself a little John Deere tractor from Larry Google Sparks. Google that. Oh, yeah. Get and that YouTube change, going. That'll change your life. That'll straighten well, you right out. Well, and so just uh, literally last weekend, um, for whatever reason, I woke up and had uh, the Larry Sparks song, a face in, The Face in the Crowd, mm-hmm. in my head. I have no idea why. So I was like, i got to hear that. You know, and I, these days I listen to so much music, maybe I'm not always listening to bluegrass even as often as I once did. You know, So it had been a long time since I'd thought about that song or heard it anyway. So I'm listening to it. And then it rolled into the next song. 
And it was a song off that tape that my dad just wore out. And, and the lyric is like, As I've traveled around the world, I've seen lots of pretty girls. No one like you, no one like you. And, you know, just this simple bluegrass song. And Justin walks in, and I'm putting my makeup on going, <laughs> And Larry Sparks is playing. It's like, he's probably like, what is going on right now? <laughs> it's not even like a sentimental song, really. But it took me back to eight years old. Like, I can't even talk about it. That's amazing. It's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Look, I'm crying now. <laughs> but that's the power of music, and that's what you hope you do yeah, for somebody. Absolutely. And, as a writer. And, and, how, and however it, it totally. does it. Like, whatever it means, whatever mm-hmm. it means is totally fine. Um, some, some shorter questions, and we'll get back to playing, to playing uh, music. Something, what's something that you learned from your grandmother? Oh, for my how to make fried apple pies. <laughs> oh, that's a good. That's a She's good. She's a fried apple pie queen, and if you've never had a fried apple pie, it's basically like biscuit dough fried in a cast iron skillet with a bunch of sugary, cooked down apples in the middle. Sounds amazing. Sealed with a fork. Oh, it's good. So. We didn't. We didn't have that in Colorado when I was growing up. Well, you know, my granny, growing, you know, she's. It's a small town where she lives as well, and uh, you know everybody wants her to make these fried apple pies. So I mean, I literally, like like the businesses got <laughs> to where it. they would just ask her if she would just make a big bunch of them, and she would go around and like sell them for like a dollar, you know, and everybody would want to get in on my Granny Duck's fried apple pies. <laughs> what a great, what a great legacy. What is um, what's uh, like today? What's your favorite song today? Oh, like just today. Today? That, yes. Like, what, is there anything that hit you today? Or is like there a song you're in your head today? Well, now it's that Larry Sparks song I that just ca- sung. But <laughs> that's, that's legit. That's legit. Oh, yeah. It's hard. Uh, hmm. Yeah. That's a good answer. Yeah. We'll go with that one. <laughs> a couple more here. Uh, what do you hope for? You know, I, it's a, so cliche to say, but happiness, you know? Well, that's what this show is I all about. I think that's all we want, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. To be able to do what we love, be happy, not have to worry about, you know. I mean, we're all going to worry, don't get me wrong, but, you know. Uh, just you just ha- feel like, you know, you're on your path you, and you can be certain of that. And, I don't think you and, have to worry. No, I don't think you have to. I don't think But I think we worry. all struggle not to. We all, we all do, yeah. and that's something Gotta we deal with. But, but I did want to interrupt you there because I don't know that it's necessary. I haven't, it's I haven't, not. I haven't fully developed my theory, nor have I figured out how to avoid it. Uh, besides just like moderate drug use, but um, <laughs> on, like ongoing moderate drug, but um, but I, I'm not sure that we all have to. That, I, I, I think that that's a good thing. Okay, here's something else. What are you What are you afraid of? Failure. Failure. Oh, Absolutely oh, failure. Oh, Sierra, you have nothing to fear. Well, but it, you but have it's already still succeeded. In. I appreciate that, but it's funny. I think like. We set our expectations high for ourselves, so I think every time you meet one goal, it's like the goal always winds up here, and that's part of the beauty of being able to have a career in music because there's there's no end to like what you can learn as a musician, where you can yeah. grow. Yeah. But you know, just just like not being the best me that I can be, so I think I do fight that sometimes. That's 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 reasonable. Yeah. That's, that's the good fight right there. And I don't even know what that means. You know what I mean? Like failure <laughs> yeah. in what way? Totally. It's, cause it's, all, it's because all it's all relative. a little ambiguous. But yeah. I do think that's one of those things that, yeah, as, as I kind of truck along, I have to be like, can't worry about that. Just got to keep 
Gotta keep one foot in front of the other, whatever yeah. that means, you Avo- know? Avoidance, that's my favorite strategy. Yeah. Uh, final question. <laughs> Just avoid that crap. <laughs> I only know how to employ one coping strategy. Try to be honest. Yeah. And it's avoidance. Uh, <laughs> Just the most, the most obvious question of all, what is it that makes you happy? I've got an awesome husband. I really do. He's, he's right back there. He's itching to pick, too. He's yeah. going to be out here in like I mean, 30 seconds. That sounds cliche, but like, man, sometimes I think, like, how lucky am I to have that, to have somebody like that. That's amazing. Everybody, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you all for listening. Sierra Hull, the one and only forever and ever. Thank you, guys. I'm going to have Justin come back out and let these two play, uh, play a little duet before I join them again.
Kind of hard to believe, right? This has been the Travis Book Happy Hour Podcast. Thanks for listening. Huge thanks to Sierra Hall, Justin Moses, Ariel Rosenberg, Andy Eubanks, Thompson Guitar, and Americana Vibes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a positive review on your preferred platform. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Travis Book Happy Hour. And full, unedited episodes with video can be viewed anytime at thetravisbookhappyhour.com. <laughs>